So today we're starting a brand new sermon series called Reset. Uh, I believe that the new year is a good time to reset our lives. Uh, It's a time for us to examine our priorities and to ask ourselves what's most important. It's a time for us to look at the foundations of our faith and to ask why do we believe what we believe? And do our beliefs make any difference in the way that we live our lives? So, If for some reason you have moved away from taking care of yourself in 2018, I think the new year is a time to reset your diet and exercise routine. If for some reason you have fallen away from prayer, from Bible study, from worship, I think that this is a good time for you to reset your spiritual priorities. Uh, If you have Uh, been through a difficult time in a relationship or in a marriage, this is a good time for you to reset that and to make uh, that relationship or that marriage a priority in your life. Uh, If you've neglected friendships, people that you know you love and care about, you have not nurtured them, you have not spent time with them, this is a good time for you to reset uh, with your friendships and your relationships. If you've found yourself taking on too much, Uh, doing too many things to the point where you can't really do anything too well because you're spread all over the place, then maybe this is a time to reset your priorities and you just might need to say no to certain things in 2019 so that you can do the things that you commit to well. Because if we try to do too much, then we don't do, or at least we feel like we don't do anything well. I think the New Year's is a great time to push the reset button in our lives so that we can live intentionally and faithfully. It was an interesting Christmas at the Stauffer House this year. Clayton, who is six, got a hoverboard. Uh, I don't know if you guys know what the hoverboards are. They're like uh, sideways skateboards that you can lean forward or back on and you can, uh, you know, whip around. But uh, they're very sensitive toys and uh, you have to be very careful. Uh, Clayton got really good on the hoverboard. In fact, last night he set the table on his hoverboard. But Montgomery is his older sister. She's not quite as coordinated or balanced as her younger brother. The day after Christmas, she got on the hoverboard. Quickly, she realized that it wasn't going to be a good experience. She tried to get off of the hoverboard, but didn't do so before it flipped around, throwing her off, and she broke her left arm the day after Christmas. Then, two days later, she had her tonsils out. So that was a rough week for our oldest child. But I was thinking about this hoverboard metaphor and how if you can stand in your life and keep even weight on both feet, not lean too far to the left or too far to the right, not lean too far forward or too far backwards, it's like the healthy foundation that you can have in your life. But, but if things get Uh, sideways, if you are off balance, if the hoverboard goes racing away from you, then guess what? You can fall and it can throw you into a tailspin. Well, the same thing is true for us in our beliefs, in our worldview, in our priorities. We have to have a healthy foundation upon which we are building our lives. And so I'm going to do something this morning that I've done every New Year Sunday since coming to Woodmont 11 and a half years ago, and I'm going to share with you some of my core beliefs. But as I share these, I don't want you to just think and listen to what I believe. I want you to ask yourself what you believe, and I want you to ask yourself if you are living a life where you're making these beliefs a a priority. 
Uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about two builders, uh, a wise and a foolish builder. The first person, he says, builds his house on sand, shifting sand. And when the storms of life come, the rain falls, the winds blew, beat against the house, it fell because it had been built on sand. But the wise builder, Jesus said, built his or her house on rock, solid ground. And when the storms of life came, the rain fell, the winds blew, it beat against that house. That house did not fall because it had been built on rock. So I'm asking you again this year, what is the foundation upon which you are building your life? I once heard somebody say that, you know, one of three things is going on in your life. Either you are going into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you are coming out of a storm. But usually it's one of those three things. So you need to ask yourself, what am I doing to prepare myself? Not if, not if, but when the storms of life come. First and foremost, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I've always believed in God, and I think I always will believe in God. Now, does that mean that I've never questioned or challenged or become angry with God in my life? Absolutely not. If we are honest, all of us would say that there are times when we doubt and question and challenge God. We don't understand God. We don't understand why certain things have to happen. Why do we have to go through certain things in our life? But guess what? God is big enough to handle your questions, your anger at times, even your doubt. That is healthy. That is natural. As we grow older, hopefully all of us grow in our understanding of who God is and how we can relate to God. Rabbi Harold Kushner has written many great books over the years, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People, Overcoming Life's Disappointments. Uh, He wrote another book uh, a couple years ago where he said, God is not a man who lives in the sky. Harry Emerson Fosdick was the preacher of the Riverside Church, a place that I served while in seminary. And Fosdick would have people that would come to him, they'd say, Dr. Fosdick, I don't think that I believe in God anymore. And Fosdick would say, well, tell me about the God that you don't believe in. And and he would listen to them and he'd say, you know, I don't think I believe in that kind of God either. A master puppeteer, inflicting pain on some people, but not on others. Uh, We must move to a much deeper understanding of God and who God is as we grow older and as we mature in our faith. G.K. Chesterton once said that when people stop believing in God, it's not that they believe in nothing, it's that they believe in anything and everything. Frederick Nietzsche once predicted that in Western culture, people would replace God with money. And if you look around, you will see that he was right. (laughs) Because for a lot of people, they worship money. They put their trust and their faith in money. And that has replaced God uh, for certain people. I believe in a God of love, mercy, compassion, and forgiveness as revealed to us through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. I believe in a God that is the eternal home of the human soul. And St. Augustine was right when he said, Lord, you've made us for yourself and, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I do believe that God is a great mystery and we will spend our entire lives seeking God and trying to discover truths about God. It's why theology is a lifelong endeavor. It is never exhausted. And as we live, we must live with a sense of humility. What Micah says in chapter six, the prophet Micah, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God? You can't live your life as though you have all the answers. 
You can't live your life as though you're better than other people because of who you are or what you have or how rich you are. That's not the way that God calls us to live. God calls us to live with a deep sense of humility. Now, I don't just believe in a God who is up there in the sky or out there somewhere, but I believe in a God who is everywhere, including right here, right now. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, it says, It is in God that we live and move and have our being. There's no place where we can go where God isn't, because God is like the air we breathe, the breath of life. God is within us, and God is all around us. Because I believe in God, I also believe in love. One of the greatest passages of Scripture in the New Testament is found in the book of 1 John. It says, God is love, and those who love are born of God and know God, and those who do not love do not know God, for God is love. And I believe that our world, our world and our culture desperately needs more love. Love is a force that holds everything together in life. Love is a force that gets us through the most difficult situations in life. Human beings are capable of doing some very cruel, mean, horrible things to each other. And so we have to be reminded that God is calling us to love each other and not to hurt each other. God is calling us to build each other up and not to tear each other down. And part of learning to love means learning to overcome fear because fear and love don't go well together. There's too much fear in this world. And so what does that mean? It means that we have to love more. If you have fear in your life, it means that you need to love more. Because according to the scripture, love drives out fear. Jesus taught about agape love, unconquerable goodwill towards other people. Somebody wants to find it. It means loving those that have hurt you in the past. It means loving those who might seem unlovable at times. It means loving those who maybe you don't want to be around or spend time with, but you're still called to love them. And, and, and I think that when it comes to love, forgiveness has to be a part of that. We can't just say we believe in forgiveness and not practice it. We have to practice forgiveness and then let things from our past go and not keep bringing them back up. Until we learn how to truly love other people, we're not really alive. We're just going through the motions. We're just existing. Um, we're not experiencing fullness of life like God wants us to have. What does love look like in action? And love is a verb and not just a noun. Uh, the Apostle Paul nails it in his letter to the Corinthians. What does he say? He says, love is patient and love is kind. And love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things and it believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Paul says love never ends. The single greatest challenge in life is learning how to love. Loving God, loving neighbor, and loving self in a healthy way. Next, as a minister in the Reformed tradition, Justin and I were both trained at uh, Princeton Theological Seminary. Um, my theology, our theology, is very Christocentric, uh, which is a really fancy word for Christ-centered. Uh, there's a guy named Karl Barth that if you go to Princeton, you think he's part of the Trinity because they make you read and study him all the time. He's a very interesting guy. If you're trying to fall asleep at night, I would uh, recommend the Church Dogmatics. Uh, read it in the evening. But my theology has been greatly influenced by Karl Barth. And, and, and I believe 
uh, I believe in a God who revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. And I believe that in Jesus, God brings forgiveness, liberation, reconciliation, and new life into this broken world. Being a Christian means much more than just believing in Jesus, though. Knowledge of Christ cannot simply be academic or historical knowledge. There's a lot of people in our world that are very smart. They've read a lot. They can give great lectures. They're intelligent. But guess what? They live stoic lives. They don't show much emotion. And so the knowledge of Christ can't just be head knowledge. It has to be faith knowledge. It means letting Jesus change your heart. Letting Jesus change the way you see the world, the way you interact with other people. If we want to become more like Christ, what does that look like? Well, Paul, once again, in Galatians says, the fruits of the Spirit. If you're a Christian, then you should embody these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So as we begin 2019, which one or ones do you need to work on? All of us could work on all of them. But, but usually there's one or two that you would say, you know, I really need to be better at patience this year. I need to be better at experiencing joy. I was at Discount Tire the other day, and I thought to myself, this is a great place to practice patience. <laughs> what are you doing to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit? Because I believe in Christ, I also believe in the church, the community of believers. And I believe with all my heart that the church is called to be missional. Uh, Jim Thomas is going to share a moment for mission later about our partnership with Fall Hamilton Elementary School. Just one of the ways that you can serve and give back in this community. But, but the church is not a place or a building. We, we have this beautiful white building in the middle of Green Hills, Nashville. And, and, and people drive by it all the time. But that's not the church. The church is made up of people. People who have gathered together because of their faith, because they want to follow Christ, because they love and care for each other, that's what the church is. And, and let me tell you this, the church is not perfect. If you want to find something that's wrong with the church, I promise you, you can find it. If you need ideas, come talk to me. I'll tell you what's wrong with the church. There are times when I get mad at the church. But the church is not perfect because it's led by people who aren't perfect. But still, we journey together and we share life together, the good times and the bad, and we lift each other up when we go through difficult times. And that's what the church is all about. That's what the Christian community is all about. Uh, my grandfather started and pastored a church in Fort Lauderdale, uh, where my uncle, my crazy uncle, is now the minister. And uh, my grandfather used to say that in the church, you will find lifelong friendships of the best kind. And I believe that. And I've seen that and I've experienced that. Next, as a Christian, I believe in the Bible, which provides the foundation and wisdom for our lives. And Bible study is going to be one of our three focus areas, uh, our priorities for 2019. There is a Bible study that meets every Sunday morning at 830 down in room 105. Uh, Kathy Patton started it with a few other people. So if you're looking for a time to come on Sunday and study the Bible, that class has an open door. Uh, Justin's been there. Many other people have participated. They're starting a new study on Proverbs uh, this, uh, this, this new year. But I believe that we're called to spend time in the scripture. Now, I want to say this very clearly again this year. I do not worship the Bible. I worship God. I'm not a fundamentalist because I, academically, I see some glaring inconsistencies with that particular approach to Scripture. However, I don't believe in throwing Scripture out. We have to wrestle with the text. 
It's through the Bible that we come to know God and Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a guy at Boston University named Stephen Prothero, and he wrote a book called Religious Literacy. And in the book, he says, you know, many Christians in our country uh, say that they believe that the Bible is so important, but they don't bother to take the time to read or study it. And what a profound point for a book that is so important to so many people. Why don't we spend more time reading it and studying it? There's a guy named George Barna who's been spotting religious trends in our culture for decades. And he published a book a couple of years ago where he said this, and this is alarming. He said 91% of U.S. households own a Bible. In 2015, 33% read from the Bible outside of church which was down from 47% just five years earlier in 2010. Only 20% of adults have read the Bible from cover to cover. 45% of adults say that they are extremely or moderately knowledgeable of the Bible. So clearly we are living in a culture where Bible study and Bible reflection is, is on the decline, and we need to change that. We need to understand that part of being a Christian, part of being a follower of Jesus is spending time in Scripture. Not just hearing the preacher talk about it, but spending time in our own lives. And guess what? You don't have to choose some large chunk of Scripture. You can start with a chapter. Start with a couple of verses. Start, I always tell people, start with the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> There's a lot of really good stuff in there. If you can get through that and work on that in your life, you'll be doing okay. Uh, Karl Barth was right when he said we should face every day with the Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And let's see what the Bible has to say about the issues that our world and our culture is facing. There was a longtime Sunday school teacher in my dad's church in, in Memphis, my home church, who once said, if you will carry the Bible with you when you were young, then the Bible will carry you when you get old. And I love that. Next, and certainly of the utmost importance, I believe in the power of prayer, which includes the process of confession and forgiveness. For us as Christians, prayer is the means through which we communicate with God. And remember, communication involves both talking and listening. And I also think it's through prayer that we can ask for forgiveness and also grant forgiveness to other people. Now, prayer is a mystery. We don't understand exactly how prayer works, but, but here's what we know. It doesn't matter so much what we say when we pray or when we pray or where we pray or how we pray. What really matters is that we pray and that we expect things to happen in our life when we pray. The real secret to the power of prayer is not to just see it as some magical means of escaping life's problems or fixing life's problems, but as a means of asking God for the strength and the courage to face life's troubles and challenges. Somebody once said that through prayer, we should be asking God for stronger backs, not necessarily for lighter loads. But only those people who pray on a regular basis will know the difference that it makes. We have a culture where people are, are stressed out, we are irritable, we are anxious, we, are, we, are, we have a hard time experiencing peace. And if you don't take the time to stop and be still and to pray, then you will live your entire life that way and it is exhausting. Next, I believe in marriage, home, and family life. Uh, I have an eight-year-old daughter with a broken arm a six-year-old son, and a two-year-old son. So life at the Stauffer house is, is pretty busy these days. Uh, family life is not easy, but I believe that it's important. Somebody once said, the years uh, are short, but the days are long. And I can, I can resonate with that. Home and family life is the greatest source of love, support, and joy in this world, but not everybody gets to experience that. 
The quality of one's home and family life is one of the most important factors in determining one's faith and outlook on the world. And I'm convinced that children who are born into a healthy and happy family will grow up speaking love as their native language. But guess what? Every family has issues and problems and drama. Your family, I hate to break it to you, is not unique. But real family is where you are loved and cared for no matter what, and where you can always go and feel welcome no matter what. And, and, and if things happen to fall apart in your marriage, um, in your family, then the church wants to be there to help pick you back up. Um, when people go through a divorce, they've already been beat up enough. They've already beat themselves up enough. It's not what they wanted. It's not what they chose. But the church doesn't need to kick people when they're down. The church needs to be there to lift them up and help them move forward. So we have divorce care that starts this week and starts a week from Wednesday, the same night as the discipleship classes. We have divorce care at 615. Whether it's you or somebody that you know who would benefit from that, invite them. And we love to have them because we want the church to support marriages and families. We want to encourage people to be committed in their relationships and be committed to their families. But if things fall apart, then we don't turn our back on people. We help them rebuild their lives and we help them pick up the pieces and keep moving forward. And that is so important. Next, as someone who believes that faith should be able to withstand the test of mind, heart, and circumstance, I believe in free will and the consequences of it. Frederick Biegner is an author. If you can get your hands on any of his books, I would recommend it. Biegner says, the greatest single argument against the existence of God is the presence of evil in the world. This argument is simply stated, if there is a God who is both good and all-powerful, then why do terrible things happen in the world? And Biegner gives his answer when he says this, God wants us related to him in the same way that children are related to their parents. In other words, God wants us to love him, and if our love is to be spontaneous and real, then we must be free to not love him with all of its grim consequences of human suffering. Evil exists in the world not because God is indifferent or powerless or absent, but because human beings are free. And free we must be if we are to love freely. Free we must be if we are to be human. Love is not controlling. It never has been. It never will be. And so out of love, God has given every single one of us free will. And God hopes that we will choose faith and love and kindness and service. But the choice is always ours to make. Lastly this morning. And yet, as important as anything that I've said today, uh, I believe in life after death. Uh, death will always be a great mystery to those of us who are on this side of it, but I believe that life goes on beyond the grave because of the words of Jesus, who said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And I'm convinced that somehow, and I don't know what this looks like, but we will be reunited with the people that we have lost in our lives. I look forward to seeing my mother again one day. I look forward to seeing my grandparents and friends that I have lost along the way and what a wonderful way, uh, day uh, that will be. We'll live in this world for 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe even 100 years, but we'll spend the rest of eternity on the other side of death. And so only a fool would not prepare for what that's going to be like and be thinking about that and be hoping for that. Live your life to the fullest now. Bring the kingdom of God to earth now. But remember that death does not have the final say. Life goes on beyond the grave.
So these are the core beliefs upon which I have tried and am still trying to build my life and my ministry. Um, I don't claim that this list is not exhaustive. You might add to it. You might swap some things out. But as we begin this new year, 2019, I would encourage you, ask you that question. What do you believe? What is your foundation? And are you living a life that is consistent with those beliefs? Are you making those priorities and those beliefs the central focal point of your life? Because if you can withstand, or if you can build a strong foundation, then you can withstand the storms that will come your way and you can weather them with God's help and with the, with the support of a strong community. So I'll close with these words, these words of a poet. Until the sun grows cold and the stars grow old, and the leaves of the judgment book unfold, this is what I believe. Amen.